Welcome to another episode of the Pioneer Podcast. Today, Katie and I are joined by a very special guest, Merrick Rosenberg, who is the founder of Team Builders Plus, as well as our favorite version of DISC, Taking Flight. And on the podcast, we like to raise the voices of pioneers who have built or are building brands, businesses, or movements. And Merrick's done all three. So we are in for a real treat this morning. (laughs) So Merrick, maybe let's start with how we know each other. I was thinking over the weekend that was back in 2015 that I believe we met. Yes, we had decided to share the birds with using the personality styles and instead of using letters that people just don't remember, using four birds, eagles, parrots, doves, and owls. And you had gone through, I guess it was at a certification where you were getting certified to be able to share the birds with the world. Mm-hmm. Merrick, I remember you saying in one of the certifications that the birds just flew into your mind one day. So I'm curious, you know, you were a pioneer in team building before it was a thing and DISC was a thing that you reimagined. So I'm curious about that journey for you as an entrepreneur. Well, I started one of the first team building companies in the United States. So team building basically is just in its infancy. There are about a half a dozen team building firms in the US. I discover it while I'm in grad school and I'm like, I could get paid to play games with people. (laughs) Sign me up for this. (laughs) So I wanted to find a job doing it, but there really weren't companies around that offered that opportunity. So I figured, I'm just going to do it myself. So started Team Builders Plus, which was one of the first team building companies. And it didn't take long to realize, okay, personality conflicts, clearly one of the major issues for teams. And I learned the disc styles, which I used for a long time. But then I would go into companies and then I'd see them two months later and they're like, which one is the D again? And I'm like, oh my God, you're killing me. I spent a whole day with you. <laughs> and so I, I I used the styles for a long time. And then I one day the birds flew into my world. I was, I was literally writing a book and I kept feeling like I'm ex- trying to explain the styles and I'm saying the dominant assertive D and the enthusiastic I. And I'm like, there has to be a better way. And I thought, what if we use birds? And then literally in that moment, I was like, well, what would the D be? And I'm like, well, that's the confident direct eagle. And the I is the enthusiastic and social parrot. And the S is the soft-spoken and harmonious dove. And the C is the logical analytical owl. And it, done. From that moment, just, I, like that. just like that, I put the book down that I was writing, which I was like a third of the way through. And I was like, agonizing over writing this book. And I just put it aside and literally the next day started writing Taking Flight, which was a fable about the birds. It just, not only did the birds come to me, but the fable came to me within like 30 seconds. It was just this download. If I could have plugged in a USB port into my brain and downloaded, I would have been like, done, here it is. But then I agonized writing it for six months. (laughs) Wow, that's amazing. It's almost like writing a song the way you're describing that. It just came to you and you had just had this knowledge arrive. Yeah, I don't feel like I had the thought. I felt like the thought was just there. It just, it just like, it came to me, it was given to me and I'm just capturing it. Uh, I feel like that when I'm writing too. I often don't feel like I'm writing it. I feel like I'm capturing it. And sometimes I'll be sitting and typing and my wife will be sitting next to me. I'll laugh out loud. And she's like, what's so funny? I'm like, oh, you should hear what the parrot just said. (laughs) As if like, I didn't create it. Like I'm watching it as a movie and I'm just capturing it. Wow, that's so interesting. Well, I'm thinking of other entrepreneurs or like aspiring that have an idea and they're like, meh, you know, I have to go do the laundry or like, meh, I'm comfortable with my job. Like, but you had the idea, brought it to life and then pursued it. Like, what? tell me about that process. I, well, what was interesting was at the time I have Team Builders Plus, which is really thriving. I mean, we're we're doing great. But you look at the industry, when we started the company, you could count the number of team building firms on one hand. And all of a sudden we start to notice, well, 
this is taking off, which is great. Our sales are increasing. It's much easier to sell team building because we don't have to teach people what it is. They know what it is now, but it's not a great recipe for success when your competition is going up and subsequently your pricing is going down. Things that we would have sold for $8,000 we're now selling for three. And so I just felt like we need to do something different. And so when the birds came to me, it just felt like this is it. This is what we do. We keep Team Builders Plus. We still offer team building, but we create an entirely new company with a different business model. We share the birds with the world. We certify people. We teach them what we've learned, how we've been teaching styles for all these years, and just create a totally different organization. And had we not done that during the pandemic, that would have been it. I mean, team building just was dead for two years. We would have been done, but we thrived. That's amazing. I got certified to be a disc facilitator when I joined Omni in January of 2022. Um, and my favorite thing about walking away from it is always the questions or comments that just automatically naturally flow out of people's um, minds and mouths. So they're like, I, I, I'm totally a parrot. I knew I was a parrot. Or like I had a, a table full of doves who uh, really embraced the their job of monitoring the room to make sure everybody. And so now there's actually uh, an executive assistant from that group that will chime in and be like, I'm sorry, Katie hasn't spoken yet, so we're going to give her the floor. And I'm like, I love that you're embracing your dove. Um, so it's just one of my favorite things. You know, I've been through Myers-Briggs and Strength Finders and all the personality tests and and taking flight is the only one that ever has stuck with me or that I watch other people stick with. And the main reason is because you know about the birds. And so like being able to visualize or understand an eagle or a parrot and, and really embracing them and um, being able to communicate with other people just because it's so simple. It's intuitive. Uh, we'll go back two years later and I've had companies say to me, the birds are as alive today as the day you taught them. And this is two years ago. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's just because it's so simple and it's easy. You don't have to memorize it. You don't have to memorize, wait, which is the D? Okay, I got it. There's no translation step. You just think eagle, got it. Direct, confident, assertive. You don't have to think about it. And, and they've become these symbols of culture. You put them on your desk and they're right there. And you walk into someone's office and you see an eagle, you know, all right, be brief, be brilliant, be gone. <laughs> tell them what you got to tell them and you're out. Whereas you walk in and you see the dove and you're like, hi, how are you? How, how's your day? Did you have a nice weekend? You know, you've got to create connection. So it just it's just a simple, easy tool that allows you to connect with people fast. And when you went to market with it, so what was your most successful way to get people to engage with you around the birds? Well, for us, what was interesting is we had always been a team building company. So we were the company that was running training programs, but we were a distributor of somebody else's disc profile for many years. And out of 2000 distributors, we were always in the top 10 or 20. They always had president's clubs and we were the ones flying off and going to Puerto Vallarta. And, 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 and what was interesting when we went there was that everyone else there was selling assessments. We were the only people that were there that used that many assessments in our training programs. So we were clearly running more disc training programs than pretty much anyone in the United States. So what happened was we had learned as a distributor ourselves of someone else's assessment, what do people want? as a distributor. And there were things we didn't like. And we're like, let's fix those things. Let's do all the things that we wished we had gotten as distributors. So I think having had that experience on the other side of the fence made it so much easier for us to 
work with people and help them to learn how to use the styles as well. So I think the best thing we did was saying, you know what, we could just keep these birds for ourselves, but if our vision is truly to impact the world and share the styles with the world and make a difference, then you have to be willing to give your content away. The content that we had delivered as a team building company for years, like we had learned how to do it and make it fun and funny and interactive. And now we're going to give it away. And that's scary. Uh, but, but I think how going through that process and really learning from what we experienced just made all the difference. Mm -hmm. I imagine that must've been hard to get your team on board to say, Hey, people are paying us for this. Now we're going to give it away. <laughs> like, tell us about that journey. Not only was it hard to get them on board to want to give it away, they were not on board with starting Take Flight Learning at all. Because here we have this very successful team building company. We're still growing. Yes, our prices are going down, but we're growing every year. And I'm coming in and saying, we're going to still keep Team Builders Plus, but we're going to grow an entirely different company. And that one's going to be our focus. And everybody thought I was crazy. They're like, why would you do such a thing? And, and I just was like, I'm telling you, you, you look at forecast ahead, look what's happening in our world. And, and it's time we need to grow something different. So it took a while to get them on board. But once I had made the decision, I was like, we're doing it. Everybody was like, okay, we're doing it. Hmm. And the same staff, like you have the same staff kind of transitioned I, with you. I, to yeah, I, I had a lot of staff that we've grown and, and obviously added a lot to the team now, but we had a lot of people who stayed with us through that whole transition. And, and it, it was like, once we made the decision and it was like, yes, we're moving forward, the conversation stopped and everyone was like, okay, we're doing it. So let's do it. So it's very, it was very exciting, actually. Yeah. I think that tells you a little bit something about the birds on your team, right? Because the same group that I was with in August that I was just referring to had a lot of parrots. And so, you know, we look at the graph and what's, what some of the challenges might be. And they had already communicated to us that they were challenged with making decisions. And so then when we saw, you know, here's parrots are like up here, eagles are down here, doves are about here, and owls are here. And was, what, what, do you, what do you see as the biggest challenge? And they were like, that's why we're not getting decisions made. And so it, it encouraged them and the eagles in the room to step forward and say, okay, this is the decision that we're going to make and let's move forward. And then the parrots could rally around it. So it is interesting to me to hear like stories of teams where it's like, not sure, not sure, not sure, decision made, we're going. Well, what was interesting too is I started bringing people with me to sessions in which I had swapped out the letters for the birds. And, and I was like, watch what happens. I'm going to introduce the birds in the first two minutes. And from that moment on, they will not use letters the entire rest of the time. And, and in fact, we had worked, one of the companies we work and we do a lot of work with is NBC Universal. And the VP of talent development, they had used the birds and they'd been rolling it out. And this was early on in our process. And I, and she took me and she goes, I want to show you something. And so she takes me and we're walking around 30 Rock and she's like, look at everybody's desk. And everybody had cut out pictures of an eagle, a parrot, a dove or an owl. And she's like, they're posting them. <laughs> they were the ones who gave us the idea to get the desktop birds, which now sit on everybody's desk because people were doing it themselves. Like they figured out we should be putting this out there. I mean, I never thought people would do that because I was using letters for so many years. Nobody put a D on their desk or an I, like it just, that didn't happen. And all of a sudden I'm going to clients and they're hanging up the birds. We have one client who literally just redecorated their cafeteria. They took an entire wall and they created a forest scene with all the birds. Oh and they're like, it's such so much a part of our culture. We just want to remind people about it. And they're like, is that okay? And we're like, sure. Yeah, right. That's Absolutely. great. That's amazing. <laughs> That's what's so powerful about the birds that people just make it their own. 
I wonder you talked about like giving it to the world and and raising just the broader consciousness. And then there's a question we actually had talked about at Katie and I on a, on a different podcast. Like, how do you scale with consistency? Because you're training people how to do it. But how do you have confidence that they're delivering the birds the way you want them to be brought to the world? You're 100% correct. It's like you're now sharing it with the world. If you're delivering delivering a session yourself and you have your trainers, you have to have faith that that they're going to do a great job. And we get great feedback from our own trainers, so we know they're doing a good job. But now we have trainers in Australia and England and France and Poland and Colombia and Canada. I mean, they're all over the world. How do you know they're doing a good job? And and the key that we said early on was I took some of the activities that I did that I would say, I wouldn't let one of my trainers do this activity until they've seen me do it a half a dozen times. And we got rid of them. And what we swapped in were activities that are so easy for, to facilitate. You just can't goof it up. <laughs> so, so we created a version of the program that just does its thing. So we don't have to worry so much. You'd like, you just say, here's the instructions for this exercise, do it. And it just works. So we made sure that we created activities that we could teach people that we know, even if you have minimal amount of training experience, you can pull it off. Mm. And, and that was critical because quality control is important. We didn't want people to be doing things that were very complicated, that you needed a tremendous amount of facilitation experience and needed to see this activity multiple times. We're going to have you for one certification and then you're going to go do it. And we hear people all the time say, I just went through certification yesterday. I could facilitate this tomorrow. Amazing. I got it. Foolproof. <laughs> <laughs> I got intrigued by the global reach that DISC has now. Do you have different challenges as you explore other regions? The beautiful thing about the birds is they really are universal. It, although we may have in the United States, there's the bald eagle. Well, there actually aren't bald eagles in India, but they have golden eagles. So, but they still have the same culture. There may be different types of parrots as you travel around the world, but parrots are parrots. And so, uh, and doves are just universal and owls are on every continent. I mean, they're just everywhere. So the fact is that it really is very simple. The only time, truth be told, the only time we had an issue, we do a lot with uh, Native Americans throughout the United States. And there was uh, one tribe, one nation that for which owls represented death. Like, okay, that's not good. But actually it was fascinating because we're like, is this going to be a problem? And they were like, no, because we understand how you're using them. It's okay. So even in that case, they really were fine with it. So we, it, they are so universal. Behavior is universal. Personality is universal. And the birds are as well. So it's really worked internationally. We were thinking, do we have to swap them out? And the answer was no. That's great. It's amazing as you're like, it's just the full circle of you kind of having the birds within you, bringing them to the world. And then now that you're learning about all other cultures through this work too. That's really incredible. Yeah. It's, it's an amazing thing talking to people in Australia or uh, I'm running a session tomorrow for 3000 people in Switzerland and uh, doing it virtually. And they just want to bring the styles in and they are, they often start off small. They'll, they'll use the birds with one team and all of a sudden it goes global. Now we're using it in the U S and all of a sudden it's, it's all throughout the world. Amazing. So we obviously love and adore the birds here at Omni. We all know our birds as a team. We're curious. Maybe Katie and I can share ours, but Merrick, we'd love to know what your styles are. I am a parrot with a secondary eagle style. Mm -hmm. So my parrot is clearly the strongest style, <laughs> uh, but my, my eagle plays in there. I think that's more the entrepreneur. Let's just do it. Let's just go. We're going to make it happen. And then the parrot, I think, comes out on stage like, 
I want people to laugh. I want people to have a good time. And, and I think both of those play out even in the training because the training itself, I want the training to be fun. I want people to leave there and feel like that was enjoyable. That was fun, but I also want it to be impactful. So I think we see, because I've designed the training, I think we see both of those play out there. Absolutely. I, I am similar. I'm primary parrot. So I'll agree with you. I like to be on stage and have a good time. Secondary eagle. I think as you were talking about the decisiveness and we're going to do something different, that absolutely resonated with me. And then my dove comes out when I'm under stress, which is a really interesting swirl for me personally, because my eagle wants to make a decision as quick as possible. And my dove under stress wants to make sure everyone's aligned. And it sometimes can be its own kind of stress. You hear multiple voices, like the parrot saying one thing and the dove telling you something else. <laughs> And I am a primary dove, secondary owl, and I used to have, I actually used to be a secondary eagle, tertiary owl. I know Sarah doesn't like the statement, but I dropped my eagle after. <laughs> Mary's not going to like it either. It's just not. Your style has evolved <laughs> over time. So, like, that's where I learned that not to like that from this man right here. <laughs> I uh, went through a divorce. I lost a very close cousin of mine. We had COVID. I switched jobs. And then as I retook the assessment, I probably five years after the first time, my eagle had dropped below the 50 mark. But I always would say with the harmony, if my harmony is disrupted, I go into owl mode to get the details as to why we're out of sync, out of balance. And then my eagle will come in and make the decision to restore us to harmony. Yeah, style changes over time. And actually, I always think of it as it's a, your graph, if you take an assessment, is a snapshot in time. It's like where you are right now. And then significant events in our life absolutely can change our style. Mm -hmm. We've had two disc sessions recently where somebody has responded with all four disc styles, which Sarah has uh, coached me to talk to them about. As I learned yeah. the answer to that question from Eric. It, it usually doesn't stay there. It's that's usually I'm in a period of flux and I've got trying to figure out who I am. And so I'm a little bit of everything. And once things settle down, the styles kind of float back out to the, some natural state. It's amazing that it's a relatively short test and it is unbelievably accurate. <laughs> you know, it's what's uh, pulling the curtain back a little bit. What's fascinating is it's 24 questions. We have a 10 question version. It is literally just as valid as the 24. You only need 10 questions. You don't even need 24. The reason we use the 24 is because if we use the 10, people will think, oh, this is like a Facebook survey and it yeah. can't be valid and reliable. It's 10 questions. <laughs> How can this possibly be right? Um, so we use the 24 question, but the reality is you could use the 10 question and even that would be accurate. Huh? Wow. Why? Like what makes it so accurate? Well, you're, you're drawn to certain behaviors. If you think about if you're an eagle, you're, are you ever going to say that you are least confident? No. If you're a dove, are you ever going to say you're least compassionate? Or if you're a parrot, you're least enthusiastic or an owl, least accurate? No. We only need a few words that start to paint the picture of a style. And by using what's called an ipsative design, which is you pick your words that are most and pick the words that, is, that are least, it really creates balance. And it's incredibly valid and reliable with a, such a short number of questions. So many ways that you've pioneered, not just team building, but obviously DISC, which was like 80 something years old. And, you know, at Omni, we are just so inspired by the idea of a pioneer, someone who builds or creates something new, which... If we stop there, that would be an entrepreneur, but such a legacy that you've built and the rest of the definition, like N creates a path for others to follow, which you've done not just in recreating DISC, but in giving it away. So I'm curious, like who is a pioneer that inspires you? I, I'm actually going to pick someone who's not a business pioneer, All right. but I'm going to go back 
early 1900s, Ernest Shackleton. Here's this guy who says, I am going to cross Antarctica. And you picture the technology they have. It's not the same as we have today. The tents are not as warm. Sleeping bags aren't as comfortable. And, and so he gathers this group of people. And, and it's, for him, it was all about culture. And this was the secret. He, he puts out a job ad, which is the best ever. And it just simply says, men wanted for hazardous journey, low pay, cold weather, likelihood of success, doubtful. The best part is the closing, which says honor and recognition if successful. <laughs> Basically, he says, you're probably going to die. It's really going to suck, but it's okay. You know, if we're successful and you don't die, things will be great. You're going to really be honored. So he so he was looking for people that fit this culture, which was, which were people who had grit and resilience. And he's like, I'm going to do something no one has ever done, but I need the right people for the job because this is going to be tough. So he gets on his ship, the Endurance, they go down to Antarctica. Almost immediately, the ship gets trapped in pack ice. And over a two month period, they watch it just get crushed and just bloop, drop into the ocean, gone. Everything's gone. And nobody's going to look for them for a year. He says, you know what? It's all about culture. It's all about creating an environment where we have positive mental attitude. He was doing team building activities. They were putting on skits and plays and they created games and activities because he knew culture and morale were important. So they go 10 months. Now the ice starts melting. He gets into a 22 foot rowboat, sails in a rowboat, 800 miles, lands on an island, wrong island. Nobody's there. So now he's then he has to go back in a rowboat, goes to another island, lands on the other side of the island, has to hike a mountain to get to where people are. He does all of this and then has to go back and rescue the people. 28 men went out, 28 men came back. Wow. Minus a few toes, but that was it. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and and the, the story was so unbelievable. He was coming back and saying, we were unsuccessful. We didn't even leave our starting point. And people didn't believe that it was possible that they had survived. But he survived because he had vision. He knew what he was trying to do. He created culture. He was all about the environment. He was all about creating an environment where people can thrive and succeed. They had a videographer there who was capturing it and you watch them and they're playing games. And he is a leader who understood you select the right people that fit the culture and you maintain your culture vigilantly and you achieve success. He may not have achieved success about crossing Antarctica, but he achieve success that every single person lived. And it's just an absolutely amazing story. Wow. What a great idea. <laughs> right? How did you come across him? There was actually a documentary about him that I watched and it was just enthralling. Like, it, because to me, it, to me, it was like he was a team building facilitator. He was literally running team building activities because he knew you have to keep people engaged and positive, And it's all about their attitude. Like this idea of culture, each strategy for breakfast. Yeah. They had a strategy of how they were going to live, but he had selected people who were the right people that he wasn't looking at skill set. He was saying, look, this is going to be hard. It's going to be cold. It's going to be dark. It's going to be freezing and you have to be able to survive this. And so I was watching that documentary. I'm like, it's about selecting people. It's about culture. It's about leadership and the transparency, total honesty, right from the the job posting yeah you're not walking in blind you have yeah. your expectations set i love that. that was the one thing that stuck out to me was the transparency of the job ad that was yeah. like 
I, I'm going to tell you what you're walking into. And if you choose to come along with me, I'm happy to have you. <laughs> there was a training I took with you once and you shared a quote, which I think you share frequently, but it stuck with me. And it has actually even transformed my marriage because my husband and I bring it up all the time that all of life's greatest disappointments are the result of misaligned expectations. Yes. And I think that's what you described. Like he was very clear in that job article. This is what to expect. Yeah. And that probably carried them through. Exactly right. And they had clear expectations up front. And as leaders, do we create a clear vision of who we are, a clear vision of our culture? Are we vigilant about maintaining the culture and, and, and not just focusing on goals, but also focusing on the environment itself? And, and to watch somebody who did that and was selfless, he got into the 22 foot rowboat and sailed 800 miles. And then he came back and rescued the men. And when he came back, they were thriving. Mm -hmm. He had, what's fascinating about that is the culture survived the leader. Mm -hmm. He didn't need to be there for the culture to sustain that he passed the culture along and it stayed even in his absence, which is absolutely amazing. I mean, the parallels between that and the story you were just sharing with us earlier of building disc, bringing someone in to say, watch me do the birds once, watch in five minutes how it's going to play out. I mean, you led that by example, and now you have people like us and all around the world delivering that culture on your behalf. That's pretty remarkable. Yeah, it's amazing to watch. I mean, the, the, the amazing thing that I always find fascinating is that even though my world tends to be corporate America it tends to be companies. We're going into companies and teaching people about the birds. When I speak at conferences and I'm sitting at a book signing table and people come up to me afterwards, they always have questions. And 90% of the questions are about their spouse or their child. I just talked about how to use the styles at work. And now they're like, wait, this is not just about work. This is about me and my most important relationships. And they're creating links, just like you share this impacted my relationship. Those are the stories which are amazing that it it's doing something that transcends the work environment. I had a woman just last week tell me that it saved her marriage because she was able to take it, like you were saying, and go home and figure out where the breakdown and communication was and then completely adjust her style to be able to communicate better with her husband. I, was like, I love amazing. that example. I will say, I think my favorite story, though, is when it was someone I had worked with months before and she goes, I went through your session and usually it's, you saved my marriage. But she came up to me and she goes, I'm realizing now exactly why I need to get a divorce. I'm like, wait, this is the opposite. <laughs> she goes, because now I can see exactly from a style perspective that this is not going to work and it's okay. And that he's okay, I'm okay, we're just not compatible. And it was fascinating that, that because I always hear the other story, you saved the day. I'm like, wait. And, <laughs> but, it, but what she was saying was you've created this path of happiness for me that I will, I will not be on this path that's going to create sustained unhappiness. And, and that realization was really powerful. So, so you, also, you also saved her too. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> Same sentiment. As, as Merrick walked in, he shared with us his new book. Which I know, which I'm here. super stoked so about. Um, personality wins, who will take the White House and how we know. Katie and I have done a lot of speculating around the next election cycle and mainly how it will impact our industries of healthcare, wellness, and cannabis. Politicians are Katie's celebrities, so we are super Super interested to hear, Eric, about the book. Give us some of the headlines about it. In 2016, watching the election, as everybody was, and you're, you can see Donald Trump, he's going against Hillary Clinton. And putting politics aside, I was watching a debate and I'm like, you know, he has a very big outsized 
personality. He's the eagle with the dial turned up, but it's a big eagle. And Hillary, self-proclaimed policy wonk. I love policy. She is the owl. And I was watching that and thinking, you know, I wonder if it's just that big personalities beat the kind of more reserved styles on the biggest stage of all, which is a there's no bigger stage than a presidential election. And then I thought, well, I guess parrot goes with eagle as big personality, owl goes with dove. So I started, I was like, just curious. This is kind of an interesting theory. Let's see if I work it back in time. I was like, well, this is true in the 2000s. Parrots and eagles beat doves and owls. Then it was true in the 90s and the 80s and the 70s and the 60s and the 50s and the 40s. I go all the way back to 1932, 22 elections in a row. That was true. Anytime an eagle or parrot went against a dove or an owl, the eagle or parrot won. I was like, this is a pattern that's unbelievable. How has no one seen this before? And the only time doves or owls won is when they went against another dove or an owl. And almost every time they would then go against a parrot or eagle and lose. So you had like George H.W. Bush, owl, goes against Dukakis, also an owl. An owl is winning that election. But then all of a sudden, here comes Bill Clinton playing his saxophone on the Arsenio Hall show lights out for the owl. Same thing, Carter, he was a dove, goes against Ford, another dove. All of a sudden, here comes Ronald Reagan with his charisma and energy and humor, and dove loses. And this just kept happening, that the only time doves and owls win is if they're going against other doves or owls. And it's just fascinating. And But what's fa really interesting is you look prior to 1932, owls and doves won all the time. And you think, well, what changed? What is it that changed in 1932? And the answer is media. Where did we learn about the candidates? I mean, the first five presidents were all owls. The six presidents leading up to the Civil War were all doves, including Lincoln. And the first 104 years of the presidency, we think, oh, president must be eagle. There was only one eagle in the first 104 years of the United States, and that was Andrew Jackson. And there was only one parrot in the first 104 years, and that was Martin Van Buren. So actually, doves and owls just ruled the presidency prior to 1932. So as we look today, big personalities win. And in a sense, it really is one big personality contest, which is a, an amazing pattern that really hasn't been identified. So well, also in the influence that media has over the perception of the person that's that they're talking about, Amelia Earhart was becoming you know very popular at the same time as Phoebe Omley was pioneering in aviation, but Amelia Earhart's husband was in PR, and so she got a lot more attention and drove a lot more media attention to her more so than Phoebe. So I'm now like enthralled by the fact that that was the shift that there's the media comes into play, and now. The candidates are in a different light than they would be and it's more personality based than maybe skill or experience that's based. exactly right and that's a great example you can look back in that same time period of thomas edison was the wizard of menlo park he was a showman and he's going against and he was a parrot and you go against nikolai tesla was more of an owl and he was like and he's like i'm just going to give away everything i have because i want to share it with the world and he died penniless and and edison would have been a multi-billionaire in today's world and it was all about pr and the same thing holds true with the presidency. It's that big personality shines. It's hard to capture your policies in a tweet, but you can have a 30 second video that shows you being charismatic. Are we just as humans more drawn to that parrot eagle? Like we want to be around that style, even if it's not our natural I, state? I think we have a personality bias that we think that big energy equates to better leadership. 
but it doesn't. I mean, we would lose three out of the four people on Mount Rushmore if we were just going for, you know, parrot eagle leaders. And it just doesn't equate. And that's the important thing is that, that you think about leadership and style just in no way determines how successful you will be, but it does determine how you would go about being successful. And to me, that's the fascinating observation is that it informs how I'm going to lead, but anybody could be a great leader, but we have a personality bias and we think you need to have this big energy to be a great leader. And therefore we're going to elect presidents who are the eagle or the parrot. And one of the best leaders I ever worked for when I first became a people leader and was hiring people for my team, she gave me feedback after I hired someone who was unsuccessful. And she said, well, that's because you mistake confidence with competence. And I was like, I do. <laughs> and I really reflected on it. And she was right. A lot of times we hire in our own image. And I always tell people, staff your weakness. You don't need another version of you. I, I have people around me that are completely different, just as your styles are completely different. And I'm like, thank God you're here. Trust our leadership me. team is all four different styles. And so it is very interesting when we have like a problem to solve or we're teaming in some way, the different perspectives and the different things that we think about and the different ways that we hear different information, I think is really makes us all the better. And if you're open to that and accepting of different perspectives. The problem with a lot of teams, senior leadership teams are often the most dysfunctional team in the organization because you go into finance, you got a lot of owls and then you have an owl leader. Owl leader gets their people. You go into marketing, got a lot of parrots, you got a parrot leader, a parrot leader gets their people. But then you have a senior leadership team, which has the head of marketing, the head of finance, all of these different people from all different departments. It's the most diverse team in the company. And if they understand the styles, it could be such a powerful team. That team is ripe for conflict and needing Team Builders Plus because they are naturally representative of the behavior style of their division and their content. Yeah. But if they know the styles, that could be the most powerful team that just sees things from all perspectives, knows how to talk to everyone in the company, has this great vision and ideas and goal focus, and they think things through and they care about culture and people. They have it all if they understand the styles or they're battling it out and not listening to each other. Yeah. I think to Katie's point, we bring all the styles, we appreciate them, we've all been certified, and we all don't want each other's jobs. I think maybe that's partially tied to like that area of expertise fits with our style. What we say all the time, like part of why it's so magical is we're not competing with each other for those roles. We really just want to hear what's most valuable for your role and your function. Yeah, I am constantly amazed by my people. <laughs> that, how do they do this? <laughs> like I, I watch them and I'm like, I think to myself, I could not do that job. That just is not me. But if, if you hire good people, your, their style fits with what they're doing and just let them do their thing, then great things happen. And that's the power of the birds, right? That you can diagnose or see someone's style just in how they're interacting with the world around them. Sometimes in just like a, a blink of a moment, once you understand the styles, the patterns emerge and you can see them very quickly. So what's next for the birds? Where are they flying off to next? <laughs> I, next for me is, is really bringing the birds to children. Uh, during the pandemic, I, I had extra time because I wasn't flying all over the place like I often am. And I thought, you know, I really have always wanted to bring the birds to kids. And so I wrote a children's book called Which Bird Are You? Uh, and then I created a 10 lesson curriculum for kids where that are that's designed for teachers to share the birds in the classroom. Uh, so it's 10 lessons for teachers. Uh, it comes with a reader's guide. And then I wrote another book uh, as a read aloud book called Flight School. So to me, it's it's 
bringing the birds to children, if there's one statement I hear more than any other statement, it starts with, I wish I learned this before. And I hear, I wish I learned this before I had kids. I wish I learned this before I got married. I wish I learned this before I became a CEO. But the underlying sentiment is, I wish I knew this when I was younger. I taught this to my kids and my staff. They all shared this with their kids and the stories we all have about children using the styles, learning about themselves and becoming more self-aware when they're children is so powerful. And so for me, that's next. It's, it's, bringing the styles to kids in a meaningful and intentional way. Amazing. There's so much more knowledge that we're able to bring to kids these days. Like I even think of just kids having access to therapy, mm -hmm. like because they have more tools in their toolbox now to deal with the world and being able to recognize like, oh, yeah, I behave that way under stress because that's just like how I'm wired versus there's something different yeah. or wrong about me. I, I, there's this one moment where I had taught my son the, the styles and he was in, in fifth grade and he was in an art class and he was doing this art project where they'd gotten this black piece of paper and they'd got, they had glue and you put glitter on the paper and you, you, you shake it off and there is art. And so my son's working on his project and there's this girl on one side, this boy on the other, and the girl goes, doo, 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 shakes her paper off, done. <laughs> and, and the boy looks over and he's like, well, you're done, but look at it. I mean, look what you did, right? I mean, it's a mess. And she's like, but I'm done. <laughs> and and so they're evidently they're debating. And then my son, at one point, he just couldn't take it anymore. He goes, look, it's just that you're an eagle and you're an owl. And that's all that th that's happening here. So the teacher hears this and the teacher's like, wait, what, what, what are you saying? Are you calling them names? And, and you know, when you're in fifth grade, you think if I know something, obviously the adults around me know it. And so, so she's like, well, what are these birds? So he starts teaching her and she's like, well, are there others? And he taught her all four. They spent the rest of their class looking at the artwork through the lens of the birds. I see the teacher weeks later and she goes, do you know these birds? <laughs> and I was like, I've heard of them. <laughs> I know see, a guy. Most, <laughs> most kids could not even for a moment articulate what their parents do for a living and oh, yours are certified not. disc facilitators yeah. for their, <laughs> yeah. their classmates. Right? Yeah. She's teaching parents. And so, so I had said to him when he came home and he shared the story with me and I, I said to him, I said, so buddy, why did you say that? Like, what, what were you thinking when you just said, you're an eagle, you're an owl, that's all there is to it. What were you thinking? And he said something so profound and he said, it just didn't make sense to me why they were arguing. That's who she is. And that's who he is. Why are they arguing? And, and there's this quote by Krishnamurti, which I love, and it's, it's the highest form of human intelligence is the ability to observe without judging. And in a sense, in our language, in adult language, he was saying, why can't we just accept people for who they are? Why are we judging people? And imagine if we brought that to children where they gained a higher level of access, acceptance and got rid of judgment. I mean, that's that's when bullying starts going away. Right. That's when diversity, equity, and inclusion is, is at its best. It's we're going to accept people because they're different. It, this judgment thing just has to go. And, and, and that's what we should be teaching kids. Yeah, because what a better way to look at the world of like, you're different. Cool. Mm -hmm. Teach me about that. Right. Like, I want to learn what you know that made you different. Like, let's be compassionate about it instead of yeah. raising kids to be problem finders. I feel like creating compassionate solutions is, is what you're describing. Yeah, and teach that to children and then have that flow into their adult life and their careers and their relationships instead of having to learn that once they get older. So for me, what's next is let's, let's bring this to children and teach it to them at a younger age.
we just need to stop imposing who we are on other people. That we, you know, there's a great George Carlin quote, you know, everyone driving slower than me is an idiot. Everyone driving faster than me is a maniac. We think our way is the right way and it's the best way. And then we expect other people to be like us. Parents do this to their children. They try to turn their children into their best image of themselves. Managers do this to their direct reports. They say, look, I know what it took to have the corner office and this is how I acted and this is how you need to act. And, and that just needs to go away. We, instead of imposing our style, let's honor the styles of the people around us and treat them the way they need to be treated instead of trying to turn them into us, which is what happens all the time. One of the best pieces of, of advice I got as I was um, you know, emerging as a leader was just because it's not the way that you do it doesn't make it wrong. And that was like very eye-opening in its simplest form for me that it's like, we can still reach the same endpoint, but the way that we get there can be different. And so embracing that and giving my team room to kind of be their own authentic selves and find their own way to that endpoint. And miraculously, they all did it. So how wonderful is that? So the birds are a lesson in knowing yourself, but also in how to operate. I think you've said this in one of the trainings I was in, like deal with anybody who has a personality <laughs> because we, we are just in a happier place when we're not fixated on changing or moving someone else and instead appreciating that difference. It's a subtitle of, of my book, The Chameleon, life-changing wisdom for anyone who has a personality or know someone who does. That's where I got it. I was like, I got it from some of your materials. Yes, yes. I figure that should pretty much cover everyone. <laughs> yeah. If it doesn't cover you, you got a different problem. <laughs> yeah, right. It's been so awesome chatting with you, Merrick. I think for sure someone who is pioneering, building a brand, a business, a movement that, you know, Katie and I have had impact our personal lives as well as our business lives. And that is a legacy that is just an incredible component. I hope that you feel that and like carry oh, and we're so proud of what you've created that's had this big of a global impact yeah i mean it's 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 why we do it is that you you know i i won't look back and say wow i grew a successful company what i really want to look back is we impacted a lot of people that's the goal and that's what i feel like why our companies are so aligned we say that all the time like we didn't wake up thinking gosh the world needs another consulting company <laughs> but instead like how can we create a place where people are respected for who they are and challenged and valued and can do good in the world not just you know on a particular project yeah, and make a difference mm -hmm. really awesome merrick where can people find the book uh, so uh, books are available on Amazon and they're in, in Audible. You can read them, you can listen to them. Um, but also you can check out uh, I, my own website, MerrickRosenberg.com. That's more bringing me in typically as a speaker uh, or take flight learning. And that's where you can learn about the different training programs and certifications that we offer. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of the Pioneer Podcast with Merrick Rosenberg. We're talking about all things birds, all things personality. Don't forget to pick up his new book, Personality Wins, Who Will Take the White House and How We Know.